Welcome back to the Soundworks Collection. I feel super fortunate to hopefully entertain you guys with a really good friend of mine, director Chelsea Christer, who I've known, how long have I known you, Chelsea? When, where? It's been over 10 years at this point. I, I think we actually met through the matches. We did, we sure did. I think it was um, Sean connected us um, okay. because he knew that I was looking for more um, opportunities to, to film to film anything. And <laughs> uh, and he, he connected us, so yeah crazy so for anyone who's tuning in uh, a lot of times you know we're talking about sound for feature films sound with composers video games and uh, I wanted to kind of change it up a little bit and I'm so excited to feature Chelsea's documentary bleeding audio which is about this band the matches so I'm assuming that the audience doesn't know who the matches are so (laughs) Chelsea when you talk to someone about your documentary how do you describe who the matches are Oh man, um, that's that's really funny. Well, so when I, when I was originally talking about the documentary, obviously when I was speaking to people about it, very few people know who the matches are. And I mean, the best way to describe it is I would call them just like these weird eclectic art punk rockers where it was this band um, that was coming up in the early 2000s um, that were positioned to be this next huge thing. And they had their very own unique quality of um, very smart (laughs) lyrics that Mm -hmm. I feel like were incomparable to other bands at the time. But also um, they were just exploding with art and design. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the best way I could have described them (laughs) at the time. And when I was interviewing people for the film, that was like my favorite question to ask Mm -hmm. people. Uh, was oh describe the matches to me and it it stumped everybody as they were just so unique they were almost indescribable so for, for someone who has a lot of experience around the documentary community you've been a, a full-time employee at the Sundance volunteer booth for for how long <laughs> how long have you been attending Sundance oh man so I've been attending Sundance for 11 years um, as a volunteer and yep. I did a variety of jobs there, um, but uh, most recently I, I've been housed at the Music Cafe, which feels very appropriate and mm-hmm. at home for me because a lot of my work, um, and with Bleeding Audio in particular, it is kind of the intersection of film and music. So um, when I landed at the Sundance Music Cafe, it was it felt a lot more like home. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I yeah I've been volunteering for Sundance for a long time. It's an incredible community, and um, it's a great way to just really engage with the festival in a, in a very different and um, personal way because you get a little bit of the behind the scenes look, but um, as a volunteer, you get a lot of access and you get the opportunity to see so much great work. Um, And, uh, and it's a way of giving back too. I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people don't recognize as much um, when volunteers come through as they think, Oh, they're just taking advantage of the benefits, but the joy really is helping make that festival run and make it a great experience for everybody. But um, yeah, I've, I've kind of, I don't know, I, I volunteered one year, I think my first year was 2010. And um, I, I just knew I would never miss another year of Sundance mm-hmm. um, since. So here I, here I am 11 festivals later. <laughs> <laughs> so for someone who's had a lot of exposure to the community and other filmmakers and understanding the process of documentary filmmaking, at what point did you say, I want to make a documentary feature film about this subject? And, and when was that? And what was kind of the, the tipping point for you? 
Yeah. Um, well, so when the matches decided to reunite um, kind of in late 2013, early 2014, uh, they, they're all really good friends of mine and they kind of let me know that this was happening. Mm-hmm. And I immediately offered to uh, support them with some video content just because that, that was my job. That's what I do. That's what I create. And I wanted to support them in any way I could to help make this reunion of theirs um, just be really exciting for them and for fans. And um, I started, uh, I was actually, I had just finished up like a festival cycle for my short narrative film. And I was really feeling like I needed a new project and I hadn't quite figured out what it was yet. And I knew I wanted to start exploring the feature film space. Um, But the short little videos that I had planned for the matches, I was like, this is a great next project. This is something that will keep me going. This is, this is going to be fun. And so I started production on some of these videos. And while I was interviewing the guys, just getting like a retrospective of their careers and just figuring out where they were now and kind of the journey that they had once they uh, quit the band, I just, it just, I I was, I thought I knew what was going on with them. And I thought that I had an understanding of, of that world, but I just realized that I told, I had absolutely no idea. And um, it, it started to become a bigger story to me. And um, I still remember driving back after the very first interview I did with Sean, who's the lead singer in the matches. And I remember driving back with my camera guy and kind of turning to him and being like, that, that's a different story than I thought it would be. And he went, Mm. yeah, he said, that's really interesting. That's, there's a lot going on there. And I said, yeah, I said, I, I think this is a bigger, I think this is, I think there's something here. And he went, I'd watch it. (laughs) <laughs> and that's kind of when yeah. the idea started to percolate where um, then when I started doing the subsequent interviews with the rest of the guys just in support of the reunion, where the first of all, a lot of things were corroborated because, I mean, Sean, you know, we, we all love him, but his memory isn't always the best. And so hearing like some of the stories get, um, again, corroborated, but also um, getting the other guys' perspectives and just feeling these tangible, unique characters um, it was just really inspiring. And I kind of say that the project found me in a way and that mm-hmm. I was kind of the only one who was willing to tell the story. Um, and uh, yeah, so then I decided to take it on and that was in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who are, or maybe who aren't familiar with the matches, uh, uh, another little side note is your husband, Justin, is the basis of the matches, right? He is, yeah, yeah, he is. So in, in terms of like having access to uh, subjects, you guys, you started the film then. When did you guys get married again? Uh, we got married four years ago. So it was, okay. um, I mean, I was a few years into the uh, production process for yeah. the the film itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I actually tend not to bring up the, the husband thing too much because I feel like a lot of, uh, and this is just... I mean, I don't want to pull this card, but this is just like being a woman in cinema is a lot of people like pull a nepotism card where they're like, oh, that's how you got a chance to make this movie. And it's like, no, (laughs) these guys had they felt I mean, they're super humble, but they saw no reason to have this movie be made. And um, I think I I mean, I think one of the reasons why um, I was able to get access is obviously because I am kind of a part of their inner circle and family. Mm -hmm. And um, I think too just you know, one of the hardest things as a documentary filmmaker is getting access to your subjects. And I feel kind of spoiled because um, the hardest thing I had to do was just convince them that they were interesting enough for a feature length film. 
Um, and from there, they were very willing to um, open up their lives to me. And I feel like I mean, it wasn't it wasn't all it wasn't all like gumdrops and uh, gumdrops and daisies. You know, I, I did have to sit them down on a very long phone call to express yeah. exactly how I was going to do this and to really earn their trust that I was going to handle their story with a lot of care. Um, mm-hmm. But I think because of of the uh, um, of just being already um, kind of embedded in in this in their lives in a way, um, it 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 kind of um, helped with the access portion of it. But um, but yeah, I mean, being um, being married to a subject and then working on a film that doesn't necessarily <laughs> that doesn't necessarily address his favorite moments of his own life um, yeah. has has been an interesting uh, challenge and and you know like boundaries and just making sure that I was um, mindful of those and um, and yeah. handled it with as much care as possible. But um, but overall, uh, yeah, it was um, it you know it wasn't. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't nepotism. I, I like, (laughs) I fought for this for them. No, absolutely. And and so in in terms of timing here, so today's Wednesday, March 18th, and just, I think it was a week ago, right? The SinQuest Film Festival. Was that, was it a week ago? It was, it was going to be two weeks ago on Saturday. Okay. I know. It's that quarantine brain, right? Yeah. So you had your premiere, which I attended and just absolutely loved, uh, seeing the film in a room full of friends family like people who have been there kind of in the in in following this project for so many years what was it like now for you to uh to see your film on the big screen with an audience and what did you take away oh my god um i think i think what's really interesting too about um creating a film that has kind of a built-in fan base i feel like a lot of times when we when we create our artwork there's like this um there's this just making it in a vacuum and hoping that an audience exists. I feel very fortunate that there is a built-in audience, um, but also with that, and especially having not one, but two Kickstarters that helped support the film. Um, I, uh, there was so much pressure and I don't want to, I don't want to give um, matches fans any, any crap for this because they've been so supportive. But I mean, there was just like a constant beating drum of, Hey, when's the movie coming out? How's it yeah, going? Yeah, What's yeah. going on? And when you're trying to make a living in San Francisco and doing like a film that, you know, arguably had two decently successful Kickstarters, like filmmaking is expensive. Life here in the city is expensive. And it was just a, it was just, uh, it was like a constant stress where I just, couldn't like it was really it was really hard to to make it happen so um it was almost like this this huge relief honestly of like being like haha there it is i delivered it now now you guys can stop bugging me about (laughs) about it which is kind of the cynical way of saying it but mostly it was um to me it, it felt like uh it felt like working for a really long time on a really personal gift for someone and um watching them unwrap it and then seeing everyone love it was um that that to me was was what that screening felt like is um it it did feel like seeing someone super stoked about whatever you got them for christmas that you worked really hard on you know yeah and that was cool um but uh i think too um you know a lot of uh a lot of fans didn't know um what was going on behind the scenes for the matches. And um, I think when I first started the project, I was very hyper-conscious of, of this being something that's going to reveal a darker side of, of, 
of this story that fans didn't know about. And I've just lived with the story for so long that I've just kind of taken for granted that that's what it was. Um, And so it being a new story for fans, um, I had a bunch of people come up to me after the screening, some of them in tears, just being like, I had no idea. Oh, wow. You know, Um, and, uh, and I didn't want to, you know, negatively, like cast a negative lens on an experience that they, you know, was you know that they found as otherwise being very happy but mm-hmm. um i think it was i think it was generally eye opening to people how hard the matches did work um and yeah. uh yeah i mean it's just I, I don't know i could go on i could go on forever about <laughs> all the feelings all right. that came from that but it was it was a super yeah. cathartic experience too yeah and that was something mentioning that fans didn't know and and I, I didn't know either which is you know talking about our history with the matches i had the opportunity to work with them back in 2000 i think it was around 2007 um when uh the band got connected with me through their manager miles and um asked me if i would be interested in doing the salty eyes music video which i was like I, I, all i remember about doing that music video and the project was that like i never shot hd video before and this is the first project <laughs> shooting hd video and i was just like so Ooh. excited yeah, I was so excited to shoot a music video uh, in HD, and obviously, like I've known of the guys, I knew of iMusic Cast and L3, and um, just the local Bay Area East Bay music scene, just because they had such an impact on that grassroots music scene for for younger audiences, kids who weren't 21, and that's that's so much of of this story about the community and and the fans. When you're in those early stages, you started shooting, you started production. And you start collecting footage. When did you think you were going to have enough? Like, wh- how did you build your first timeline? Because like you said, you had two Kickstarters and they're both really successful. But you must have at some point had to like take a step back and kind of figure out the scale and scope of what you wanted to do. Yeah, totally. Um, oh God, it's it's it's, you know, it just feels like it was forever ago. But um, the process kind of started with um, I I'm I'm found a friend of mine who was really interested in trying out producing and um her name was Jeanette Bavona and she's she's so great and technically minded and organized and thorough and she really wanted to you know take her hand at producing a project and I was like I have an idea for a feature-length documentary that I think is very timely and this was before the matches reunion shows and it happened shortly after the the shows exploded and I wrote a treatment where Everything that I had learned up to that point, I wrote into this story that I thought was going to be it. And I thought, okay, um, I have I have the matches timeline here. And I at the time, too, um, and a lot of people had convinced me of this, where the, the story would only be relevant if I incorporated more of the digital music industry story in it. And, um, you know, because people thought, oh, like, no one's going to watch a movie about some band nobody's heard of. That, like, it needs to be a bigger story. Um, which, you know, in pitching, I understand because you have to, when you pitch it, you have to make it seem bigger, but it's like, if if people don't know these, these guys and, um, you know, spoiler alert, the film is mostly just about them with their milestones kind of heading up how the industry shifted. But, um, but anyway, um, we, we, we basically just sat down and kind of scoped out all the professionals that we wanted to reach out to. We tried to, um, in our, I guess you could call them interviewee casting, we tried to pick out the people in the matches lives who could traverse both a story highlighting the matches, but also express that, um, that shift 
to digital in a really profound and personal way that had a lot of like clarity and clout, you know, which um, led us to really, you know, pinpoint in on people like Mark Hoppus or Nick Hexum, um, who experienced uh, the age of music um, in the in the 90s when it was, you know, at its peak. Um, but who could also, you know, speak to the shift that it went through and then also, you know, talk about working with the matches. So there are a lot of, well, I'll get there. Um, but, uh, our first Kickstarter, we, we knew from the beginning that, um, we'd have to split up Kickstarters or funding. Um, and that the first Kickstarter we did was for production costs only. It was really just trying to get us through all the travel expenses, any gear rentals that, you know, we'd have to go through, which, you know, luckily we had a, a bunch of very generous camera um, camera operators just let us use their cameras for free. Patrick Lawler gets a huge shout out. Philip Briggs gets a huge shout out. Um, but um, uh, we 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 did that with the first Kickstarter, and then at, as we were in production, it was really hard to know when to stop filming. Like we got to the bottom of my my checklist of of professionals and friends and family. And um, when I got to the bottom of that list, the matches decided to start recording new songs. And I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> this is huge. Like this reunion inspired them to create new music. That's a huge part of the story. I need to continue production for another year while I film them utilizing the skill, like the, um, the I guess, um, the flexibility of the digital industry to create this new music. So I documented them recording songs for like six months and then um, and then finished up the interviews. And, uh, you know, and then at that point we were two years in, you know, um, and uh, and had to start thinking about how how we'd try and fundraise for post-production. Um, and in between that gap, there was a lot of life that happened for me personally, too. Um, and I had to kind of stop down some of my uh, productivity on the film. And then, uh, and then once we picked up for the post-production Kickstarter, um, I mean, I, I grossly underestimated how extensive post-production was going to be, <laughs> yeah. which I think is yeah. the documentary filmmakers, like <laughs> that happens to everybody. Um, and especially with all the footage I had at that point, it was insane. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing I would say is you have, uh, the music from the band to obviously mm -hmm. lean on. So you weren't looking to license or you weren't working with a composer. No. So that was one aspect, but you still have, you know, sound mixing, color correction, editorial, your producing staff. Yeah, it's not cheap. No. And that was the thing, too, is even with the post-production Kickstarter, we specifically called out, this is just for editorial. This is not for finishing. Um, and, you know, in between all of that, too, I applied for literally every grant, every, you know, every artist fund, every everything and got rejected by them all. Every single one. You know, um, music documentaries, you know, were just not a high priority. And, um, and you know, I get that. I Like some music documentaries break through, but they're, you know, they're more stories of like social justice or divers, uh, diversity, which I think are important stories to tell. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily bitter about it, but it was pretty disheartening to literally receive zero grants. <laughs> so it was uh, mostly a self-funded um, Kickstarter led experience for sure. And and did you apply for a uh, a nonprofit uh, status? 
Yeah, so we do, and we still do, um, have 501c3 status through um, the International Documentary Association, the IDA, and um, and that's been that's been a huge help too. Um, but uh, and we were fiscally sponsored by SF Film while they had their fiscal sponsorship program, but they discontinued that I think a year or two ago at this point. <laughs> so you know, I've been through it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for anyone who isn't in the documentary film world, you just I think people only see the end result they see what's on the final you know on the screen at a screening and they just assume oh wow that 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 looks super easy like how is that so hard (laughs) but like the amount of iterations and decisions that you have to make especially over a project that's multi-years when you're talking about the multiple shooters multiple years the thing I didn't notice which sometimes happens is like footage looks old because like cameras get better or like but that uh, obviously, like, I think you guys had a really good eye on kind of an aesthetic throughout this whole doc. Maybe that was something you figured out also in post. But, you know, at what point did you guys feel like you actually were starting to weed, get through the weeds and start to define the story? Like, how would you describe working with your editorial team? Because it looks like you have three editors, Luke, Jen and Doug. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So it was it was Luke and Jen were the editors. And then Doug came in as a consulting editor. Okay. Um, and he Doug reviewed um, our our first assembly. Okay. And he's just been he's been moral support. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Um, but uh, but Jen, I mean, honestly, I have to give a ton of credit to Jen Bradwell, because she's the one who really gave us our skeleton. Um, when we finished that post-production Kickstarter and I, um, basically was the assistant editor where I put together the entire project file and all the stuff for her, I kind of handed it over to her and said here, and I I gave her all the milestones. I had note carded out the film and I said, this is, these are the important parts. And I'm very close to the story, obviously. And I said, I need, I need you to kind of take it away from me for a little bit and reflect it back to me. And so she put together um, a structure idea. And again, this too uh, still carried a lot of um, music industry weight to it. So the, it, the film almost had like a little bit of a ping pong between the matches, the film industry, the, or the music industry, the matches, the music industry. And um, Jen put together this beautiful assembly that was, I think, two and a half hours long. I mean, oh I don't God. know how okay. I know, <laughs> like, I don't know how she was able to go through hundreds of hours of footage and put together this assembly. But it was it was solid. And honestly, a lot of the story that she put together is super preserved uh, today. Um, but she um, again, like she just kind of, I had to have her take it away from me a little bit. And I, and I was able to go in and be like, I think this needs to be back in there. I think this part is crucial. And then, um, she also surprised me with a few ads that, um, I thought were really great. And, um, I honestly, like she's the one who laid the foundation. And then, um, when we (laughs) ran out of money, (laughs) uh, my best friend of, you know, Oh my God, 16 years, 17 years. Uh, Luke, who's an editor, he um, he jumped in and just offered to help out because he wanted to work on a feature. He wanted to work on something creative because uh, we both work in the corporate video yep. world. So, you know, there's a thirst and a hunger <laughs> for creative projects. And um, he and I sat down with Jen's assembly and... Um, we did the same kind of thing where we sat down, we re-note carted out the movie. We actually, cause there were, there were moments too in the film where I was just like, this isn't landing. This isn't giving that emotional hit that we want. And so, you know, we actually 
like implemented the hero's journey into the film. And we sat down, we did a three act structure. Um, we, we paid attention to every single um, band member's character arc, like you would in a script and just found the moments to support their character um, and show where they were going from start to finish. And it was very strenuous and we had a lot of problems with like the act two to act three kind of transition and where to start that act three moment. Um, and, uh, but it was, um, it was, I don't know, it was a great practice in storytelling and it's, it was a really interesting, um, it was just a really interesting way of almost reverse engineering a story into stuff, something that already exists. But, um, but Luke too is just like, he's the, he's like the montage king. Like he is just (laughs) such a good like montage editor. And like a lot of those final scenes, uh, with the reunion, are just like, I just said, just do whatever you want. I'm not even going to direct you. Just have fun, you know? <laughs> so, so when was Jen's assembly? What, what year or month was that around? Um, September 2017. Okay, so between 2017 and when uh, when did you lock picture then? We locked picture in um, November 2019. Okay. So... The film took about a year break uh, because we ran out of funds and I was right. trying to, um, we decided to try and apply for as many grants as possible and didn't get any of them. Right. And then uh, that's when I approached Luke and was just like, man, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. He's like, I'll edit it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we picked things back up. I think it was like July or August 2018 is when we started editing again. Um, yeah. And then, you know, after hours on weekends, you know, via FaceTime or hangouts or whatever we would, and you know, Luke has three children and (laughs) we would edit in between, um, all of that. So, um, huge, huge thanks to the shock family for putting up with us. (laughs) Um, that's amazing. Yeah. But it was, it was great. And and something that just kind of came about probably in the past few months, correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of getting a team together for this last stretch of work, which was your sound mix and your color correction. And so how how did you go about that? Because you guys made, seems like a really interesting relationship collaboration with a, was it a production company in San Francisco? Yeah. So, um, so the, uh, they're a post-production finishing house called CTSF. And um, somebody that, I don't know, there's a freelance editor that I was working with at um, at this company, and he and I were geeking out about documentary filmmaking, and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a finishing house, you know, where we're flat broke, but we want to mm-hmm. partner with someone in a really intimate way and give them some, you know, creative autonomy so that we can all kind of own it as something that we're excited about. And he was like, oh, you guys, you got to reach out to this company, CTSF. And so I, I reached out to them. I said, hey, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm, you know, here in San Francisco, mm-hmm. I'm sure every company hears that all the time. Hi, I'm a documentary filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. no money. Do you want to work yeah. together? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I sent them the film and I just said, you know, no pressure. Just like, let us know. It would be great to see if we could work together. And they, they emailed me back. And I, I mean, it's kind of the first time anyone outside my circle had seen any frame of the film and their response was so overwhelmingly positive. They were so excited about it. They loved the story. They loved the guys. They're all big music fans. And they, I mean, they just jumped in and they wanted, I mean, they wanted to be a huge part of it and support us in any way possible. Um, And I mean, like I have to just give them so much credit and thank them so much because 
I mean, they did all the color correction. They did all the motion graphics. They did the title design. They designed our logo. They did, I mean, like they did so much incredible work on the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, they, um, and you know, that we, they did so much, uh, that's, that's why they're in association with, you know, they, they seriously, they carried us over that finish line. Um, and they were great to work with. Oh, so the motion graphics were really beautiful and very quirky and fun. And obviously like on brand of what the matches were, what can you say in terms of, because I, I remember, I think maybe I was talking with Sean or one of the other uh, band members about, you know, how a lot of people, a lot of people haven't seen those motion graphics. So how did you decide where you wanted to put the emphasis on, is it stuff that you didn't have B-roll for or oh, the animation, the animation yeah. was actually somebody else. Um, okay. So, uh, the animation is this really wonderful animator. Her name is Marissa Cruz. Um, also local to the Bay area. Um, mm -hmm. she, she actually used to go to L3 shows. Um, which, which was really funny because we reached out to her not knowing that she was recommended to us by another documentary filmmaker. And, um, uh, for the animations in the film, uh, initially I was kind of against animation. Um, I feel like animation can be abused in documentaries in a way that feels disingenuine. So there were some scenes that we were missing some B-roll. There were some things that felt like needed further clarification, and there were some things that just felt um, just felt like they could use something, just some sort of flair. And so um, we decided to solve it with animation. And um, I sat down and I found out I found all those moments. I did an overview of what I wanted there, what I wanted it to express. And um, and then, you know, the matches gave me all of their original Photoshop files from you know, oh, as far back as they had Photoshop files. And I said, I want to revitalize this art in any way possible. Um, and so Marissa, um, she came in and I gave her this idea of how I wanted each act to reflect a different record. Um, and, uh, and just to have the animation sort of evolve with the matches evolving style. So it starts kind of mirroring the Yvonne doll color palette and design and then moves into um, the decomposer color palette and design, and then eventually moves into the abandoned hope color palette and design, which um, I think is is something that we can give uh, you a little bit of credit for too, with some of the reds, which we can talk. Oh, about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. The the, I guess from the Yankee in the chip shop is that yeah. that one? Um, yeah, that I, I was thinking too. It's funny actually because a lot of the I had forgotten how deep their archive was of photos. And videos and just moments like uh, over the course of a band's career you just you keep moving forward you don't really ever look back and that's what i really enjoyed about what you've captured in your film just because a lot of people whether or not they were part of you know l3 or following the band going to warp tour um it's an opportunity to capture a kind of a moment in time in so many people's lives and i, I felt like the animations were it, it makes it in a way like somewhat timeless it doesn't feel like it's dated it just it it's a fun way to of use it as like a storytelling device. Cool. I'm glad it came across that way. Um, I remember relaying the idea of, oh, I want the animations to evolve with their album artwork. And there was some pushback in other areas where, oh, it should remain consistent throughout the film. And I'm like, well, it's the matches. It's not going to remain consistent. This is not like who they are. They were ever evolving. So I'm glad that came across. And, and yeah. honestly, Marissa brought a lot of her own stuff to the table too, where I, I feel like when you're working on an art project that has little to no budget <laughs> and you're recruiting artists to collaborate with, um, I mean, as a director, I've always been a very collaborative director, but I also feel like, you know, I want this to be worth it 
to them too. <laughs> you know, I want people to flex their creative muscles in a way that makes them excited to collaborate with me and on a project. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll redirect someone if they're going off the uh, beaten path. But I also feel like um, Marissa, I, I wanted to give her as much creative autonomy as possible. And her like paper cut designs is, is something that um, that kind of collaging style is something that she is just really good at. And uh, she really wanted to implement here. And, um, you know, she was able to work with the artwork that I provided her, but she also was able to put together some really fun, really great designs. So uh, she was a huge win and a find that my producer, uh, Aaron Persley, found. I just, that was a huge, huge win for us too. So That's awesome. So, I mean, being in this place now, the film is done. Uh, it, it premiered at SinQuest or it played, I mean, the SinQuest, the, uh, fortunately the opening weekend happened, but they've postponed yeah. it. Yeah. Which, which, you know, it's kind of a, it's the reality of, time and what's going on right now with coronavirus um the thing i want to ask you though was the film is done you've screened it now for an audience when looking back on the project what is what's your takeaway what what has been the learning experience of now that you've been through your first feature documentary what what were some of the learning opportunities that you've, you've taken away hmm, how long is this podcast <laughs> I mean, it's, um, all, it's, it's as close <laughs> as we can get to a therapy session, you know? It's, yeah, right. Um, yeah. I, I feel like uh, I, someone someone tried connecting me recently. They're like, oh, can I connect you with a friend who's a documentary filmmaker? They're going to start work on their project. Um, and I said, sure, I'm happy to share all of my mistakes with them right. <laughs> now. Yeah. Wish somebody did that for me. Um, there's a lot of learnings. I feel like... Um, I feel like the biggest learning that I have, which is the hardest one for anyone to accept, because I feel like when you have a story and you feel like it's slipping away with each passing day, you want to get started and you want to get in production because you feel like it's so it, it's so timely. And if it doesn't come out now, it's just not going to be relevant, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so the, the biggest learning I have is like find, a if you're a first time feature director um, or, you know, trying to handle this massive project on your own do your due diligence and find a producer who is willing to be with you for the long haul and that's not to discredit any of the people or producers who worked with me over the course of this but um like Aaron has been on the project for I think two and two and a half years at this point and oh my god I wish I found her six years ago <laughs> you know and it's <laughs> yeah how did you find Aaron um we're neighbors. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, um, it, it was more than that. Uh, so we were both part of this um, women in film, uh, this women director collective called Cinefem. And we went to a meeting in Oakland. Um, and we all kind of went around the circle and talked about our projects. And I, of course, talked about Bleeding Audio and about how I was see seeking a producer. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, the... the the meeting ended and um, because it was in Oakland, I, I drove there and I was and I live in San Francisco. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm driving to San Francisco. Does anyone need a ride? And she raised her hand and said, yes, I, I you know, I, I could use a ride. I'm like, great. Where are you? And she, you know, listed a cross streets that are literally three blocks away from mine. And I went, no wow. shit. And mm. so we, you know, we drove back and um, it wasn't another, it wasn't for like another eight months um, before she and I started working together because uh, I was in the process of kind of recruiting another producer at the time. 
Um, but uh, eight months after that, she was on the project and I'm so grateful for her. But um, but that is my biggest learning is is like as hard as it is to find um, an available, super competent, super dedicated producer on a project. Like I think it is the most crucial part of 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 making these things successful and also having them happen in like a reasonable timeline, you know, is yep. I've kind of been the only consistent driving force on this project and it's exhausting. It's so <laughs> exhausting. And it's, you know, there are days where you just like, where, you know, like the kind of serious joke I've been making is like, I get why people quit. Like I get yep. it. I fully get it. There are days where I totally thought, you know, it'd be so much easier if I just didn't do this. Um, it's, it's, it's always a, it's that quote. I don't know. I'm totally butchering it, but it's like, you know, <laughs> as a filmmaker, you started alone and you end alone. It's, it's such a, a yeah. it can, not lonely. Cause that's just looking at it from like a half empty perspective, but right. it's very much, you carry the torch the whole way. <laughs> you really do. And I think having someone who can carry that torch on days where your arm is just so tired, like is really important. And also having someone who's more experienced at this. Cause I think, the business aspects of um, of of the film, and you know, not thinking about it as like this independent short film that I can just throw together and whatever, it's fun, woohoo! You know, like this is a you know, it's a bigger entity, and it's something that I think having someone who had who had the ex- who would have had the experience early on, you know, probably would have solved a lot of time issues for us now. But um, but you know, like that's that to me is the biggest learning. Um, and I think the other thing too is just. Um, uh, is like knowing when to stop filming. And I feel like instinctually, uh, you know, I, I still stand by filming the guys recording the new music. That could be something that could go into something later. But, um, but I think too, is like, you just, you really got to know when to quit and when to like keep, when to start editing, you know? Um, and, uh, I think when you're telling stories about life, it's hard to know when that, when that moment is. But, um, but that was, that was another one. Um, I, I have a lot, but, um, I think too is like, is the other thing, there's one more and I feel like this one's important is, um, like stand by your convictions. When I first went into this project, I wanted to just make a film about the matches cause I felt like they were interesting characters and could carry a film on their own. And along that road, everybody I worked with, um, had convinced me that that wasn't possible and that I had to make it something else. And it wasn't until, um, really it wasn't until kind of Aaron came on board and, um, and also, uh, Doug Blush, um, our consulting editor, after he reviewed the cut, he was like, honestly, this music industry story is important, but like these guys are way more interesting as characters and character stories are what sells. And I'm like, yes, yes. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like, why didn't I, why didn't I stick up for myself, you know, and, and stand by. And I think, um, Uh, I read this somewhere where it said, um, if somebody thinks your idea is good, it's probably not a very good idea because it means it's comforting to them and they have heard it before. Whereas if somebody doesn't understand your idea or doesn't, doesn't think it would be good or interesting, chances are it's something unique and new and, um, it will be really great if you can stick with it. And I think it's important to like accept feedback and like, you know, collaborate and like take the advice of experts. But I also feel like if you really in your gut feel strongly about your idea, um, you just got to stick with it. Cause I, I do feel like I got a little derailed for a while and was really happy when we started getting back on 
telling the story I wanted to tell. I mean, for folks obviously you want to find out more about the film, the website's great, bleeding-audio.com. Chelsea, where can people track you down? Where you're, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. How can they find you? Um, so on Instagram, I am at Chelsea Christer, which is with a C-H. And um, I'm the only Chelsea Christer on the known internet. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> and, um, and then on uh, Twitter, my handle is at Chelsmark. Um, because at Chelsea Christer is like suspended for some reason. So, you know, I don't know if anyone knows anyone at Twitter who can get me my name as the only Chelsea Christer on the known internet. Um, that'd be great. Uh, just let me know. (laughs) But Twitter is at Chelsmark. And then, you know, I have a website, it's Chelsmark.com. And, um, I don't know, that might change soon too, but yeah, (laughs) I'm out there. I'm not hard to find. I'm the one with the blue hair. (laughs) She is the one with the blue hair and she has been on brand with her blue hair for as long as I've known you. Yeah. I mean, it's since 2008, I guess. Blue, blue since 2008. That's weird. Chelsea, congratulations on your film Bleeding Audio. I know a lot of Matches fans and music lovers are super excited to see this passion project, which turned into an amazing story in the end. As you knew all along, we just needed to see it. Um, So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. It's finally getting out there into the world. At least kind of we're drip feeding it into the world. (laughs) 